right. Well, good morning. Glad you are here. And uh, I think the lights will be coming on soon. Hopefully, if you have your fill in the blank, you have your notes with you, uh, we want you to be able to take notes because we know that a lot of times it's, you don't always remember everything that I say up here, and I know that already. So I want you to be able to follow along with us today. We're glad to have you with us. We're starting a new series called Binge Reading the Bible. And so I want to start with a little participation today. And yes, I do want you to answer this question. Uh, and so I'd just love to hear from you. Uh, are you currently binging anything? And I'd love to hear what you're currently binging. So don't be ashamed. This is the, yeah, what are you, what are you binging? Yeah. Nashville. Nashville. Okay, Nashville binge. All right. Yeah. Anybody else not ashamed to admit what they're binge watching? Yeah. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Okay, Yellowstone. Yeah. Halo. Halo. Binging Halo. All right. Is that a show? Is that a, oh, it's a show. Okay, cool. Anybody else got some recommendations? Tony in the back? Yeah. Serious golf? So what is it again? Oh, Sirius XM Radio. Okay, you're binging that. All right. Golf. Okay, yeah. What is it? Queen of the South. Okay, I couldn't hear. Okay, go. Queen of the South. What is it? All American? Okay, is that like Netflix, I guess? Yeah, okay. Anybody else? Just got some recommendations? Throw them at me. Pinky Blinders. Pinky blinders? Pink. Oh, peeking. <laughs> peeking blinders. All right. What? Yeah. Star Wars. That's a good one. Classic. All right. Does anybody have never binged anything? You've just never been watched anything. Anybody? Yeah. Staying strong. Never binged. Never, never done. You should try it. It's no. No, I've actually never, I've, I've never binged something like that before. So I mean, I actually never have. I've I don't get it, but people do it. Because, and I don't know you, I can't see this in the back, but what I'm, it's just the lights in front of me. But, but isn't it kind of interesting, like, when people say, oh, yeah, I'm binge watching, and they'll go, oh, yeah, watch like 19, epi- you know, series or seasons and episodes. All I think about is, so you sat down and did nothing that long, you know? <laughs> confessing laziness, like, right there in the spot. Like, I've been, it's been a great summer. I've done nothing. No, so, um. I'm like, what do you do? And then they have kids, and that gets more interesting. Like, what do you do? Where, where are the kids the whole time? Anyways. But, you know, it's funny, right? Like, people talk about that. So, man, there's just a lot of, a lot of people binging. Obviously, we know that. I heard this, uh, or actually, I read it. I said I didn't hear it. I read it in a book called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've never read a book, great book. And uh, in that book, he talks about Netflix and that their primary goal and, and I mean, in some of their business meetings or whatever was that uh, trying to, their biggest enemy, it said, was uh, sleep. That Netflix is, uh, they're, they're like, the, the, the thing that like stops them from like furthering or advancing is sleep. So their goal is to try to keep you from sleeping so that you stay more connected to binging. How's it working? <laughs> some of you like, they got me. Yeah, they did. And they just want to keep watching, you know. So, um, anyways, so this is kind of somewhat of the inspiration of our series, and I want to invite you this series not to binge Netflix, but to binge the Bible, and the reason we're doing this series is I really feel like the Lord wanted our church body to do this, and when I read an article, it really confirmed that this is something I believe our church needs, not just our body needs, but maybe... Uh, the, the whole body of Christ needs. So I'll read this article. It comes from uh, an article called Christianity Today, and it was just online, and I was just reading through some content, and 
came across this article written in April of 2022, so just a few months ago, and here's what it says. It says, when researchers for the American Bible Society's annual state of the Bible report saw this year's survey statistics, they found it hard to believe the results. The data said that roughly 26 million people had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible in the last year. Quote, we reviewed our calculations. We double-checked our math and ran the numbers again and again and again. John Plake, the leading researcher for the American Bible Society, wrote in a 2022 report. What we discovered was startling, disheartening, and disruptive. In 2021, about 50% of Americans said they read the Bible on their own at least three or four times per year. 50% of Americans said three or four times a year. But in 2022, it dropped to nearly 39% of people in America said they read the Bible multiple times per year. It is the steepest and sharpest decline on record. I have said this um, before and uh, from this uh, you know, stage or whatever and platform, and, um, and I think one of the biggest problems we face uh, in our churches today, and, and in this church even, I'm not exempting us, is biblical illiteracy. They're just really understanding the Bible, having a desire and a hunger and a thirst for the Bible and I think there's lots of reasons why that could be. Uh, one of those being the way we go about um, church. And I'm not bashing the way we go about church at all. I mean, we, I, we do this, but there becomes a dependency on the person doing this and a dependency to teach you this. And then you wait six more days until you open this up again to hear what I have to say on it. And that's a great tragedy. The truth is, is that whatever I say here on a Sunday, whatever you hear from a preacher or speaker or something, should only reconfirm what you read Monday through Saturday. Does that make sense? It should reignite it. It should add to it. It shouldn't just be like the supplement you take. Does that make sense? A lot of people today want quick growth, don't we? That's why we do like all kinds of protein shakes and creatines and people do all kinds of things to kind of ramp it up faster and all kinds of diet plans and pills, whatever can be a quick fix. Listen, there's no quick fix and quick growth in the word of God. It just, it's day after day investing into the word of God. And so this whole series is going to be built around doing what I can to not just inspire you, uh, but to help you, to hopefully you find it helpful, supportive, but ultimately, my hope is that you would take the Bible and you would binge the Bible, not just because like you're told to or asked to, but because you really, really want to. And there's going to be all kinds of, I guarantee you, attacks or things that try to distract you or, no, you don't need to do that or oh, you don't, you know, but, but I'm going to encourage you, man, if you, if you just do this, I believe God will revive your soul and revive our church in a healthier and better way than we were before. Two common reasons, if you follow me in your notes, that I believe we don't read the Bible. Now, I have no data to support this, but my own life, okay? Number one, a lack of understanding. One of the major reasons when I ask people, do you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? A lot of people say no, and one of them is because of a lack of understanding. 
they, they just get overwhelmed in it. You don't know where to start. You start to read something and it doesn't make sense. And so because of the lack of understanding, you say, I'll just wait until. And then that wait until goes a week or two or three or four or a month later. This is a lack of understanding to it. For some people jumping in at the age of 30, age of 40, later on in life, never been taught as a kid. And so it all feels so brand new that it just seems overwhelming. It seems intimidating might be a better word to describe for a reason why a lot of people don't read the Bible because it just feels so intimidating. Have any of you ever been there where you didn't read the Bible because you lacked understanding? If so, raise your hand. I love when I preach truth because it's like, oh, okay, all right, I'm on to something. All right, thank you, Jesus. Okay, everybody just went, do you see that? Yeah, so this is true, right? Okay, so we're gonna help hopefully you out today. All right, the second reason is a lack of time. A lack of time. Write that in. Time. I, follow me on your notes today. You're going to be tempted. Oh, I don't need to write this down. Yes, you do. And if you have your phone device, just take some notes on your phone. Okay, whatever. All right, so a lack of time. The second major reason why people typically don't read their Bible is because your calendar. I heard a sermon about a year ago, and the title of the sermon speaks it all. Your calendar is killing you. Your calendar Some of you came today and you heard that and you're like, that's all I needed to hear. Your calendar is killing you. Time is one of the reasons, major reasons, why people don't read their Bible. If you've ever decided not to read your Bible because you didn't have the time, raise your hand. Okay, keep your hand up because this is going to get really good and really convicting really fast, okay? So what you're saying to God when you say you don't have time to keep your hand up when you don't have time to read the Bible, is say, just tell God right now, God, come on, you haven't given me enough time. Okay, how do you feel? Like, okay, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. God, God created 24 hours, right? We got this kind of calendar, 24 hours a day, sun up, sun down. And when you say, God, you put 24 hours in a day, you messed up. You should have given me 25 then I would be reading your Bible. Now you're laughing, but isn't that what you're saying when you say, I don't have time? Your calendar, your calendar is killing you, right? Your calendar. We need to readjust the priority think there's something we can extract from this truth, key truth that I want to remind you of. Satan is aware of where we find our strength for our souls. I'm not going to blame everything on him, but I will call it out where I see it. He knows very well where you find strength for your soul. For your body, your physical body, we find strength and recovery through rest and different kinds of exercise or diet or water. Our body needs something to rest properly. So does your soul. And it is the word of God. That is where you will find rest and strength for your soul. Your body can function really well, but still have a thirsty soul. 
Your body can move, you can go to work, you can do all kinds of things, but your soul will be dying on the inside. So, Satan is aware of where you find that strength, which is in the word of God. Billy Graham made a fantastic statement about reading the Bible. He said, if you are ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. I could leave right now and be like, gosh, that was a full sermon. (laughs) My hope for us as a church is that in this series, it would help you get a better understanding of the Bible. I want that to happen. Kind of a big picture, so to speak. In addition to that, my prayer is that we would fall in love with the Word of God. And I titled the sermon today, Love It, Learn It, and Live It, in that order. Love it, learn it, live it. Notice I does not say learn it, love it, live it, love it, learn it, live it. All right, so that's our title. Here's a quick overview of the Bible and, uh, and then we're going to jump into the first five books. We're going to cover the entire Bible in this series and, uh, and do our best to give you, again, a helpful, higher-level view of the Bible. And that's my hope for you in this series, is that as you see this, you'd say, okay, that helped me get a big picture of it, and then we'll all dive into it as a church family. So the Bible in of itself, we'll put up some stuff on the screen, 66 different books, 40 different authors, written over a span of 1,500 years. And in my rehearsal, I was like kind of rehearsing this in my mind, kind of thinking this thing, thinking, gosh, I could preach right there on just that idea right there. I want you to think about it. When you read your Bible, you pick it up, Genesis, Revelation at the very end is over a span of 1,500 years. So we're in the year 2022. Just subtract 1,500 years prior and imagine someone writing something 1,500 years ago, so somewhere around 500 AD, would that be right? The year 500 or so. And then some writing then, like still being written, and then you writing something like today, and it's all being compiled. I mean, just, just the fact that that occurred is crazy. I mean, when you think of it, that's just out of my mind. And then think about how many times people try to destroy the Bible. They try to prevent the Bible from being shared or spread or talked about and try to take it out of print. And and there was no copy machines. I mean, all the handwriting and transcribing, like, it's pretty incredible. Again, I got to get all excited about it. All right. Next, these are the books of the Bible, Okay. Genesis to Deuteronomy is known as the Pentateuch. There's different ways of saying that. You might have heard the word the Torah. How many of you guys have heard the word Torah before? First five books of the Bible, I've said that before. The Pentateuch. Genesis to Deuteronomy. Then you've got historical books. I put this all in your notes for you. Joshua through Esther. That gives you a lot of historical context. We're going to dive into that next week. That gives you a lot of historical context in the, in the journey of Israel. And we'll talk all of that next week, so I don't want to take time there, but that's what it dives into. Then you've got wisdom literature. That's Job through the Songs of Solomon. That's Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes. So that's all where you get wisdom from. If you want to be wiser, go read those books. You say, well, how do I get wiser? By reading Job. Listen, Job was one of the, a very wise man. How? Well, he talks about how to live wisely in the midst of suffering. I mean, the story of Job and then how he handles suffering and pain is just incredible. And so that's where you get wisdom from. Then we have prophets. Uh, which a lot of people uh, probably have never read. Like, how many of you have ever read the book Obadiah? Yeah, okay. How many of you have never read the book Obadiah? 
Raise your hands. Raise your hand high. Be proud of it. He's like, nope. All right. Amen. Okay, almost all of you. Amen. All right. We're on to something. It's okay. Like, hey, listen, at least you know now that like 70% of Americans would agree with you. Okay, so, all right. All right. Most haven't, seriously. And I think it's a real problem. And that's my hope for you in this series. That, that's my heart. And that thing is the Lord's heart for us. So the prophets, major and minor prophets, okay? You have major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then you have all your minor prophets, all right, which are kind of more in the second half. If you read towards the Old, the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, you find all these minor prophets. And these are different prophets that would show up. And essentially what these prophets would do was speak up. They would show up. God would use these prophets to speak to Israel, to either keep the wall going, to keep moving forward, to repent, turn from their sin, turn back to God. And God would send different people to communicate to the Israelites to repent, to turn to their sin. That's essentially what you see in these books of prophets. And then some, like Daniel, speak to like future time and end times. So we'll talk about that later. All right, then you have gospels. That's the New Testament now, Matthew through John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the gospels. This is all about the life of Jesus. This is where we hear the gospel. The good news of Christ has come to die for the sins of humanity. That's the gospels. Then you got the history of the church. Okay, so this is, some people don't put the book of Acts uh, in its own category. I, I did that because it, it uh, kind of makes sense when you break it down this way. So you see the gospels, then all of a sudden you see the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is really all about the church and all about the first century church and how the church got launched and how the church got planted and what church should look like, be like, sound like, feel like. It's, it, the church is, is all wrapped up in the book of Acts. All right, so a lot of powerful, amazing things happen in the book of Acts. All right, then you got the epistles. These are letters to churches. There's 21 letters written to different churches at different times, different people in churches or leaders of churches. Uh, half of them are written by Paul. 13 of them are written by Paul. Uh, some of them are written by Peter. Some are written by John and numbers of these. So this is where you get Romans and Ephesians and Galatians. So these are different churches that Paul is writing to. Is this helping anybody today? Just practically, I hope. Okay, so these are good. Uh, the epistles. All right, then you have apocalyptic literature, which is like the favorite stuff that people want to talk about all the time. End times, when is Jesus coming back? And by the way, I just got to say it. There are some like horrendous billboard signs out there. If that's you and you got some really bad billboards out in the middle of the country roads, would you just stop it? Is this really pictures of Jesus like... That's what Jesus looks like? I'm sorry, I'm losing. But me and my wife were driving. I gotta share this. We're driving on 75 South, coming home yesterday. And there's pictures of this like guy who's like pretending to be Jesus or something on these billboards. And I'm not kidding. It's like stuff like, you know, you're like literally... Where are you going? And you got Jesus smiling like really awkwardly. And then you had this kid in a white t-shirt with blood all over him. He's like, like, that's hell. And like, that's hell? A kid in a white t-shirt with blood on him? Like, where'd you find that? Anyways, there's a lot of weird billboards. Have you ever seen these weird billboards? This is just weird stuff, man. Just like, gosh, anyways, sorry. Just, I see stuff like that. I'm like, I wish I could just light a match and burn it down. It's just because it's not... Where do you find a kid in a white t-shirt with blood on them in the Bible? That that's what hell is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Sorry. No. Sorry. I see stuff like that. It wrecks me. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, it's more to come. Just but some weird stuff, man. People, like whoever drove by that billboard and thought, "Give my life to Jesus." Amen. That's what I should do. That, that's I'm gonna call somebody right now. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there has. Maybe maybe it has. God can use anything. Um, so you got apocalyptic scripture, Daniel, Zechariah, Joel, Amos, First Thessalonians, Revelation. That's all about end times. So, so we, you know, ultimately what these books, these prophetic books or these apocalyptic books would do 
is they'll speak to something that either hasn't been revealed or hasn't been revealed yet. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Either something that wasn't revealed clearly then, but then got revealed, or something that, that hasn't come yet, but is going to be revealed. All right, so it speaks to kind of like the end times, future times, things that we don't know about, things that we don't have full revelation on. But today, we're going to focus on the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The word Pentateuch comes from a combination of Greek words. I think we have this on the screen. Petrus, meaning five, that's easy to see. And then you have tokos, which can be translated scroll. And so you heard of ancient scrolls. That's all it is. The first five books or first five scrolls. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All right. These five books of the Bible that make up the Pentateuch or the Torah, you might hear me say that, are the beginning of God's progressive revelation to man. So when you read the first five books of the Bible, it is simply progressively revealing God to humanity. That's what you're seeing from Genesis to Deuteronomy. We're going to break each one of these down for you in hopes that it helps you. Genesis. I put in parentheses, I think on your notes, creation, the fall, and promise of redemption. That is simply like a summary, a cliff note of all those of Genesis. Creation, you see that in Genesis 1, right? God, in the beginning, God created, the earth was formless and empty, and he starts to create plants and vegetation and waters and his spirit hovers over everything and then he creates humanity right so that's genesis 1 then you see in genesis chapter 3 the fall of man we'll talk about that in a minute the promise of redemption the beginning of human civilization the beginning of god's covenant relationship with his chosen nation israel see that in genesis 15 i think when he's he goes and he makes a promise and a covenant with israel with abraham and he says i'm going to be your people you're going to be my god in other words god begins to introduce himself into the relationship with israel saying i'm going to eventually reveal myself through you which of course later on through christ he does but this is where we see this story begin in genesis exodus we see god's deliverance we see a lot of laws are given God delivers his people from 400 years of slavery. That's where slavery is. The Jews are in slavery and have been in slavery 400 plus years. And so he comes and sets them free. And he begins to give them laws about how they're they're to conduct their lives, how they're to worship. You ever seen, you read through Exodus and you see uh, animals being, you ever seen this? Like animals being slaughtered and uh, having a tabernacle and how they're supposed to worship and wear certain jewelry and wear certain clothing, not to wear certain clothing, all kinds of stuff. He starts to teach them how to conduct their lives. Leviticus expands on those laws. If you read, anybody ever read through Leviticus before? Okay, let's, let's start the other way. If you've never read through Leviticus, raise your hand. Okay, well, probably most of you. All right, so Leviticus, you're going to find a lot of laws and you're going to feel bored and like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It's overwhelming. But these are a lot of laws expanded over. If this is how you conduct yourselves, we'll talk about why that is in just a little bit. Like, why would God do that? We'll talk about that a little later on. But that's what Leviticus references, expands instructions on laws and worship. Um, for how his covenant people were to worship God and govern themselves. It lays forth the requirements of the sacrificial system that would allow God to overlook the sins of his people because Christ hadn't come yet. So they had to be away in order to remove these sins. And so that's what you find in Leviticus. Numbers covers some key events during the 40 years in the wilderness. You've probably heard of that before. And so uh, Numbers kind of takes you back through that journey a little bit and some more detailed stories of what happened when they were journeying through the 40 years in the wilderness. Then eventually land in Deuteronomy. 
Now, this is what sometimes is referred to as the second law. You might hear people talk about the second law. Essentially, it's a repeat of the laws that were given through Genesis, through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And so it's kind of a repeat of those. It's kind of a summary of the first four books. And when Moses writes this, he writes this right before the Israelites are about to go into the promised land, which is what the whole story, those first five books is about. And he kind of takes us back on a journey the first couple of chapters. He'll kind of walk you through a little bit of just like, hey, here's what happened to Israel and don't forget what God did to us. And here's where we're going and here's what we're going to about to accomplish and here's what we're going to do. And so Moses gives his final words in the book of Deuteronomy towards the very end uh, before he dies. And so uh, it records the final words of Moses. The nation of Israel crosses over into the promised land. And Israel turns a new chapter in their history as God's chosen nation. And so these are the first five books of the Bible. And here's why you want to know this. Just like any other story, the beginning is what sets up the base for the rest of the story. People often ask me, you know, if I'm going to start reading the Bible, where do I begin? And ultimately, I just say, it really doesn't matter. Just, just begin, number one. Just, just start somewhere, maybe in John or a gospel is fine. But if you, if you really want to start reading the Bible and study the Bible, let's start just where you would any other book in the beginning. Because it really helps set up a little bit of the story and helps give you context to what occurs later on. And so you can't overlook those first five books of the Bible. I think they're very important to read and to have some understanding to what comes in the beginning is necessary to understand anything that happens later. The Torah provides an overview of God's plan. Redemption provides a backdrop to everything in Scripture that would follow eventually. And so uh, just if you say, well, illustrate that to you. If I were to uh, say, if I were to tell you uh, to go be a doctor and you had no previous understanding of science, how well of a doctor would you be? Probably not well. There's a reality, if you want to become a doctor, you have to have some basic understanding of science first and how this works or functions or medicine or whatever it may be. This is kind of the same way. If you read through the first several books of the Bible, it helps you get some foundational truths to help you understand something later on. It'll help bring context. In fact, a lot of what Jesus says, a lot of his quotes and things that he's saying, he's actually repeating from these first five books of the Bible. Because he, as a Jew, would have studied the Torah because this is what you did as a Jew. This is the Bible that you would have read. This is the Bible that Jesus would have read, the first five books of the Bible that we have today. All right, so two key passages of Scripture in the Torah. The first one, Genesis chapter 3. I think you wholeheartedly should make sure you've read Genesis chapter 3. How many of you have never read Genesis chapter 3? Never read it. How many of you have read Genesis chapter 3? All right, because that's the important stuff, right? See, you're like, oh, I want to get to the sin. Who did this to me is what you were trying to figure out. That's why you didn't read through Leviticus, but you read through Genesis chapter three because you're like, who do I blame, right? Oh, I blame Eve. No, I blame Adam, depending on which gender you are. <laughs> so, um, all right, so Genesis chapter three is what we call the fall, right? This is really, really important in scripture. This is where we get our sinful nature. This is why you are the way you are, this is why your children are the way your children are. Genesis chapter 3, it's the fall. Humans are designed to walk in this unbroken relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with us. We're perfect in every form. There is no greed. There's no selfishness. There's no lying. There's no deception. There's no murder. There's no hate. There's no pride. There's no jealousy. We are perfect and blameless before a holy God. No shame, no guilt, no sickness, no disease, no death. Sounds like heaven, right? That's exactly what it was. This perfect, holy 
perfect relationship between humanity and God. And then sin comes in, destroys that, and all of a sudden you have this broken relationship with God. And no matter how hard humans would try to somehow be perfect, they can no longer ever be righteous or holy or blameless. Simply put, we're doomed to be in this unbroken state, to be in this, sorry, this broken state with the holy God who created humanity to be with him and live with him and not apart from him. So God eventually in chapter 3, in Genesis 3.15, God promised that through the seed of a woman, one day there'd be redemption would come. Through the seed of a woman. So through a human. God, through a human. Not through an angelic just being, just a spirit being. But through a human, God would redeem humanity and bring them back into right standing relationship with God. Without sin. That means the promise of God is that one day for those who have Christ in their life, who accept the redeeming blood of Christ and profess him as Christ and the resurrected Lord, that those people will one day be like the first humans in creation, perfect and blameless, standing before a holy God with nothing broken in their relationship. No disease, no sickness, no death, no pride, no jealousy, no envy. Like, this will be perfect exactly the way God designed it. Man, that should like totally excite you. Like, 